You're listening to Sibling Talk, commentary from a progressive point of view. Now here are your hosts, John Paulette and Mary Jo Tumer. Hello, I'm John Paulette. And I'm Mary Jo Tumer. You know, Mary, uh, people, I guess, remember Rod Serling, probably even younger generations uh, from the Twilight Zone. Uh, great television anthology. I remember him a little bit because Rod Serling went to Antioch College uh, and got his degree in writing there. And I went to Antioch University and my MFA in writing is from there. So I kind of feel like Rod and I have a little little connection, if you will. Did he go re- to the Yellow did he go to the Yellow yeah, Springs? He went campus? to Yellow Springs, yes. And I mm-hmm. went to the Los Angeles branch. So we were not really that close, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but the reason I brought him up was he wrote a film uh, that came out in 1964. It was a big hit at the time about uh, a coup in the United States. And it was called Seven Days in May. And big stars, Kirk Douglas, Burt Lancaster, all these people. And I was thinking about Seven Days in May uh, when I read the article in uh, the New York Times that kind of could have been called 77 days in 2020, I guess, 77 days in November and December, that traces back the effort that Donald Trump did right from the beginning, right from the point of uh, the election and finally led to January 6th. And I think, I'm interested in what you think, the real story of the insurrection is not the story of the speech or not just the story of the speech on the mall on January 6th. The real story of the insurrection is those 77 days when he, Rudy Giuliani and his other cohorts continued to put together this huge lie in an attempt to overthrow this this election. And I, I really, I kind of feel that's what he should be convicted, impeached and convicted on. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that's the story that the impeachment managers tell. Because um, they could tell it just like the Times wrote it. Because it's a very well-written piece about how Trump and his um, supporters, to use a nice word, wouldn't let the lie go so that they got enough people hepped up on that, excited about that, believing that, that ultimately led to January 6th. And if you remember, John, we were watching January 6th in real time. And you and I were texting each other like, this doesn't make sense. Like, how did all those people, you know, just happen to be there and happen to break in and and there wasn't security. There was just, it was a little bit like 9-11 in this way. And Bush administration alumni have said this as well. It's as if nobody was watching. You know, it was more than not, not connecting the dots. If you remember at the time, it was like they're not connecting the dots or they didn't connect the dots. And that's how 9-11 happened. But I think what history says to us is, 
it's more than not connecting the dots. It was like kind of a willful, eh, that can't happen. Failure of imagination is the way it's been described. Or in the Bush, in the 9-11 case, if that's what the Clinton people cared about, we don't. I thought in real time, and I think the reporting has come to shown to, to demonstrate this, is that there was more than just incompetence involved in what happened. Starting, as you said, back to election day, and maybe even before that, as, as the Trump's internal pollings were starting to show that he could lose, to prepare everybody for the lie and then never accepting the truth. Because one of the things I thought was interesting in the reporting was as people started to fall off and tell him, hey, listen, you lost. The courts are not supporting. There is no evidence. The group around him got smaller and smaller, but more, um, uh, you know, crazy in their, in supporting his fantasies that there are, were ways for him to stay in power, not ways for him to win. That ship had sailed, but that there were legal or military ways for him to stay in power. And honestly, the fact that they got as close as they did is quite frightening. Well, it's hugely frightening. And, you know, I think your analysis on <coughs> January 6th is, is right. Uh, I would probably say this was not just incompetence or lack of intention, uh, attention. Instead, there was real intention going on to allow that to happen. You know, there's a couple of things we're realizing now. People, several people have told me, we read in the media, uh, not everybody who uh, uh, got together, assembled there on the mall, intended to storm the Capitol. Okay, I'll buy that. I think many of them intended to just stay there and demonstrate. The man who tells them storm the Capitol is Donald Trump. I mean, that's on tape. He simply says it. And he even says, lying, of course, because he always does, I will go with you and we will storm the Capitol. That was intentional. It was further intentional for the uh, military, the National Guard, for the uh, Capitol Police to be essentially in a state of standout. We know now that they put another layer of paperwork and approvals before they could get the National Guard, Guard out. They did not assemble the kind of uh, response and defense that the intelligence needed. This was not by mistake. It was not just because uh, they didn't believe it was happening or it was just a previous administration. It is because they wanted it to happen. They wanted it to happen. And, you know, a lot of times in an organization, you don't totally need to have the president speak to the head of the Capitol Police. Uh, Michael Cohen's uh, description of Trump always is kind of perfect for this. He's a mob boss. He doesn't have to talk to the capo out in that particular area. The word is out in the organization. The president and the administration 
do not want this stopped. And once that word was out, and we know that there's a tremendous amount of support for Trump and for this activity among military people, then people said, you know what, the best thing we can do is let it happen. Is it likely that some of those leaders never imagined uh, a guy in a werewolf suit howling up at the speaker's chair? Okay, I'll give you that. But guys, you don't let this kind of stuff loose and not take on the consequences that, that come from it. And those consequences ultimately have to go back to one man, to Donald Trump. And I guess if you want to put two men, Rudy Giuliani, because the more you look at this, just like the more you look at the Ukraine uh, incident, the more you find Rudy Giuliani right at the middle of it. Yeah, I mean, those are like the tip of the spear. I think the thing that's bothersome about it is that in placating the lie, Trump and the big lie, there were many people whose hands got dirty because, you know, sure, Bill Barr steps down eventually, but he could have come out after the the race was called for Trump and say, um, I know Trump isn't going to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you this. You know, McConnell, all kinds of Republican leaders who knew that Biden had won and yet refused to come out and try and go on Fox News and OAN and Newsmax and say, I know the president's struggling with this, but he did not win. So, I mean, you're right. It's like 77 days. It's one thing that leads after another. And I, I think on the National Guard piece, you're right. I think there were people in the chain of command who thought, wow, we don't want we don't want to do what we did on June first. We don't want a strong military presence. That's not good optics. But other ones that understood that Trump did not want his people to be battling. It's one thing that Black Lives Matter battling the National Guard, but you don't want Trump supporters battling the National Guard. But a question I have that I've not seen answered is the the information about these groups had to have been in the intelligence briefings, right? The president's daily briefings. And we know that he didn't read those. But I keep wondering whether or not he had access to the the intelligence because there was intelligence about that, right? They knew it, that this was possibility. There was chatter and all those other things intelligent people do that he knew that and was like, okay, this is good. This is goodness. I mean, that implicates him in a way that, you know, he's implicated all over the place, but that's such a direct use of his office and the information he had. Because didn't it say in the Times article that the chatter was not about taking the Capitol, that it really was about being in the ellipse and doing the president's thing. I mean, maybe some of those guys were intending. But the idea of going to the Capitals was really Trump's in his speech. That's the way I understood it. Or did I yeah. understand no, that No, I wrong? think you're exactly right on that. And of course, a question, you know, we never know on Trump is, uh, was this a planned thing? Does it simply pop in, uh, pop into his, his mind? You know, any of those. I mean, I think your question 
about the intelligence uh, is right. I'm going to give a totally uninformed answer because I, you know, <laughs> what the hell? Uh, there, my my MFA was in creative writing. I'm going to be creative here, but I think with a little bit of foundation. We know that Trump does not like to read his intelligence briefings, but somebody reads them. And frankly, I think Jared is one of the ones who uh, uh, who reads them, whether he's got the clearance or, or not. He's the inside advisor. And they certainly want to tell Trump the things he wants to hear, not the things that are going to bore him, not the things he's going to disagree with. But wouldn't they want to say uh, Mr. President, here's something really great. There are a lot of people who are answering your call to come to Washington and planning to assemble. I mean, these people, Mr. President, they could march on the Capitol and really say something to Congress when it's considering these, these votes. And then Donald Trump says, really? That's great. That's amazing. Boy, We'll teach that Mike Pence a lesson when he sees how many people you think it'll be. Oh, we don't know, Mr. President. Uh, probably as many as your inauguration. Wow, that many? That was that was historic. And so then all of that is like working in his mind. And at that point, then he's the guy who takes the match and says, let's march. I'll march with you. Yeah, I th I think that makes more sense because I did hear George Conway last night and, you know, he was doing this thing, same thing, like is, you know, is Trump a strategist with everybody and goes, no, I think it's whatever pops into his mind. And that made me think, to your point, that what could have popped in his mind when he was there with his people and he saw them out, all their warrior stuff on. You know, let's go to the Capitol, although he had no intention of doing that. But I just as an aside, I heard yesterday um, Alexandra um, AOC, right, description of what she was doing during that time as she heard people looking for her and saying, where is she? Where is she? And she's hiding in a bathroom. And she said to um, one of the other congresswomen who's her friend, Gosh, I may never have kids. I'm, I might not make it out of here today. And I thought, holy Christ, isn't this what this whole story is about? That these human beings, these public servants, I don't care if you agree with her politics or not, where they're cowering in the Capitol as these marauding insurgents were looking for her in particular to kill because of a media and the president who had whipped them up against her as some kind of boogeyman. I mean, it is interesting, John, isn't it, that how, the power of the presidency, because now Trump can't even find lawyers to represent mm -hmm. him. And on that day, he could get, I don't know how many thousands of people mm -hmm. going through the Capitol in his name. Yeah. They weren't, there wasn't an ideological thing going on there. In his name, ready to burn down that building. The, the phrase we need to remember, one of them said, uh, when questioned by the police, President Trump asked us to do this. That's what they said. Right. You know, the, uh, today, uh, the House managers have filed their briefs for the impeachment. Uh, and one of the things they said was, 
This is not just another corrupt offense. This is an impeachable crime, impeachable crime of historic proportions. This was an attempt to overthrow an election and hold on to, to power. Uh, we'll see all those in a lot more depth. And we have a lot of impeachment still to come. Yes. And I love a good yeah. impeachment. This will be the best impeachment Yeah, yet. I think I'm going to go and watch Seven Days in May. <laughs> <laughs> Sibling Talk is a JMP production. Theme song by David Paulette.